things are really, the tide is really, really turning. Even for, you know, like my mom, having watched my career, I think she's just seen that creating a personal brand is the best way to connect to people and to pivot. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Fasaya Longe, who has taken vulnerable journaling and turned that into a career, monetizing, sharing her experience and her joy for fashion. She has taken that as a path to creating a brand that she loves and has had her designs even copied by major fashion brands. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting and talking with Fasayo about her journey. And it serves as a refreshing insight into entrepreneurship in whatever way that we might define it in today's world. So thank you for joining us on the show, Fasayo. Amidst an interesting time that we're all living, I was saying on air that I was particularly interested in wanting to share a story like yours. And I think you have stumbled upon your career through your studying and then blogging and then now becoming an entrepreneur. I think in your eight years of blogging through Mirror Me, and I'll let you introduce yourself on the show, in some ways you've kind of grown up with your audience, if that's a good description of I guess, the power of sharing your journey as you have on your blogging platform. I've always followed, to some extent, I think I met you about three years ago, and I've followed a lot of what you've done since then, because I think you're of a generation where you guys are looking at your careers completely differently to my generation. And I'd love for you to be able to I guess, delve more into that and share with us first as a student deciding to blog. Where did that come from for you? I started my blog really as a hobby. I never expected it to become a job. I started it in 2012. So when I started, there were a few blogs, but not very many. It wasn't people were not earning money from Instagram, nothing like that yet. I took a gap year and I went traveling in Southeast Asia. And I wanted somewhere I could document my travels and my outfits and for my family to keep up with me. So that was why I started a blog. And it just evolved from there into a job. And then I realized that I just wanted to take more control of my career. And I wanted to start a women's web brand. And so, yes, all just kind of happened organically. It wasn't, I didn't have a grand plan from the beginning. Eight years blogging, that means you started, what, 2012? Yes, I started in January 2012. Oh, wow. So you are officially like eight and a bit now. Yeah. (laughs) And you started this alongside your undergrad? I was just trying to remember the timeline. I started the blog in January, so I missed my offer in September. And so I was already on my gap year. And then I started the blog in January. So how how do you convince your parents, one, as I guess you came here or you came to the UK for the purpose of, I guess, further education. And so how then do you convince them, one, that, 
hey, not only did I not make the grades for the course that I wanted to study, but I've decided to take a year off and find myself or travel? Um, I, I didn't. I've always been very, like, is it headstrong person? And so I, if I want something, mm-hmm. I'm very adamant about it. And I guess my parents know that about me. And at the time, I really wanted to just work at Topshop and get, you know, staff discounts and just have a good time and then travel. Oh, wow. But my mom was like, yeah, but my mom was like, no, you can't work at Topshop. Mm-hmm. You have to get a serious job in quotes. And so except you get a serious job, you have to go to uni I got into another uni through clearing but it wasn't as good as where my original choice where mm-hmm. I wanted to go and so I went to look for a serious job mm-hmm. and within a week I found myself a job at KPMG mm-hmm. um, they didn't have any more spaces on their gap year program in their London office so I moved to Plymouth and so I did that for six months mm-hmm. I worked at KPMG for six months so I guess I had fulfilled my end of the bargain which was to have a serious job you know and you can't really say no to six months experience at KPMG. So I guess that was, you know, what made them uh, let me do that. But to be honest, I think I would have done it either way. (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. So your six months at KPMG was where? So you had to move from being in the UK? To Plymouth, from London to Plymouth. Plymouth is in Devon. Yeah, so you left London and went to Plymouth? Yes, I did for six months. And this is all pre-uni? Yes, this is all pre-uni. So did you know early on then exactly what you wanted? You know, you obviously said, you know, you wanted to work at Topshop and travel because of the great discounts and you like their clothes. But did you have an idea of wanting to become, one, a blogger who, you know, can monetize that and two, having your own fashion brand? No, I had no clue. So it wasn't something where I had this great big vision. I started my blog just as a hobby. I stumbled across a few blogs and I just visually, I just really liked them. And because I knew I was traveling, mm-hmm. I wanted to document my travels. So no, I had no idea. I really mm-hmm. wanted to be a lawyer. And then I went to KPMG to do accounting. So I was going to go back and do law. That was what I always wanted to do. But yeah, I just threw working on my blog it just took me down a different path but I didn't plan even at that point I still didn't know that I wanted to start a clothing brand I started thinking of starting a clothing brand in 2015 and then I started it in 2016 oh wow so your Instagram bio says single mom to two plants um, (laughs) and I have here blogger and we'll talk about you going back to study in and amongst what you've been doing. But I've got here blogger, student, entrepreneur, and single mom to two plants, according to your Insta bio. If you don't mind, I guess, introducing yourself to the audience so they have an idea of who you are in your words. So yeah, my name is Cecile. I am a fashion and travel blogger. I do that on a blog called mirrorme.me. I blog less these days. Generally, people who do what I do, we don't blog as much. I do plan to go back to my blog 
at some point, but Instagram is very, very big for me right now. So I do a lot of Instagram. And then I run a clothing brand called Kai Collective. It's a women's clothing brand of attainable clothing with luxury aesthetics. Oh, and then I also go to uni. I study anthropology at UCL. So that's what I do. I blog and do the whole, it's called influencing these days, even though I hate hate that term. Thank you for that great intro. You've always been very candid about sharing your journey. So did you go back and actually post the six months at KPMG, actually finish an undergrad degree, or you just kept blogging and and that was it? And so you mentioned studying now. Yes. So while I was at KPMG, I applied to uni again and I was I got an unconditional offer to do law and anthropology at LSE. So I was going to do that, but then KPMG offered me to stay on and they would sponsor my degree, but then I would have to do accounting and be an accountant full time basically and go to the uni during the summer months when uni was shot to get my degree. And so I did that. I ended up going on that program. It was called the School Leavers Program instead of going to LSE. And so I did that for just over two years. I really didn't like being an auditor. I found it very boring. I loved the company. KPMG is an amazing company to work for, but I did not like the job. And so I went back to, it was Durham University they were sponsoring. So I left KPMG and went into Durham just by myself. Obviously they stopped sponsoring it because I had left the job um, to finish the degree. And so I was doing that, but then I got kicked out. And so then I had no degree. (laughs) And so I was just working, working on Kai, working on my blog. And then my parents wanted me to get a degree. At first, I wasn't so keen because I thought, you know what, I've tried. That's it. I just want to work because, you know, my work was doing quite well. But I realized I had a bit of an inferiority complex about the fact that I didn't have any degree. And so I actually wanted to get a degree. It wasn't just my parents forcing me to get one. I'm not sure that I think that if I was more confident in myself and in the fact that I would one day be successful, I probably would not have gotten the degree because I don't think degrees are essential. Mm. But yeah, I went to UCL to do anthropology and I'm in my second year. But is there a part of you that wants to achieve this because it's a historical form of achievement for, I guess, coming from an African household. So beyond the learnings of entrepreneurship and the success you've had with Mirami, um, you know, your brand partnerships have extended anywhere from Nike to Google to Universal Music to Shiseido, Nesaporte, but that still wasn't enough. You still needed to get a degree. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like how this sounds. I think, yes, yes, that's the truth. I think that it's not even that I, I personally have so much respect for degrees so I don't know what it is I think it was just the fact that I did not have one and I it was it's not like a master's it's just like an undergrad maybe if I didn't get kicked out and I just never went to get a degree maybe I would have been fine but as I said I just had a bit of an inferiority complex like almost like okay so this company wanted me to join their board and so they sent me a deck and then it had everyone who was on the board it has their name and then beside their names, they had their degrees. And so like BSc and MSc, and people had like PhD. And just knowing that everyone had something beside their name and I wouldn't, that was the moment when I just thought, okay, I'm going to get a degree. So honestly, I don't think it was a good enough reason to go back to get a degree. I think that I should have believed in myself more and not cared so much about tradition. It did give me an inferiority complex. So yeah, that's just the truth. 
And you're still on that journey now, right? So I guess at this point, the goal is finish because you already started. Yes, yes. And I do really, really enjoy it. Anthropology is a really interesting degree. I really, really, really enjoy it. Like, I'm glad I did it. I just don't, can't say that I did it for the right reasons, but I'm glad I did it. You'll be considered now in university terms a mature student, right? Yes, yes. Yes, no one can ever believe my age. Which is odd to think about. Um, (laughs) I remember doing my degree and thinking the mature students were were ever so mature in comparison comparison (laughs) to me in my early 20s. So it's interesting what hindsight does. So you briefly touched on getting kicked out of university. You know, you're not my first guest who's decided that, you know, the traditional route of tertiary education is just not for them in terms of their aspirations. Do you mind sort of digging or I guess sharing a little bit more about how that came about? No, I don't mind. I just wasn't focused. Um, I just wasn't focused. I got kicked out twice. And then actually the first time I appealed and then they let me back on. And I was just way more focused on my work. So I did not spend a lot of time in school. I was at Durham, which is like over three hours, like about three hours away from London, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was never at Durham. I was always in London working. So my work just and, mattered. And working by, like, working brand partnerships with brands yes. on your blog, Mirami. Yes. And then trying to start Kai. So traveling to Turkey, sourcing fabric, looking for manufacturers. That was what I was working on. But how are you funding all this? So I was earning money from my blog, so my brand partnership. So you started monetizing quite early on? I started my blog in 2012. In 2013 was probably the first time I ever, maybe late 2012, I ever monetized it. It was very little money, though, from, like, affiliate links. And then brand partnerships must have started maybe towards the end of 2014. Brand partnerships would have started. So, yeah, I was collaborating with brands. Names don't come to mind now. But I've worked with a lot of brands. I can't remember which ones were in which years. But then also... So the whole time I worked at KPMG, I was earning a full salary. So I had that as well. And that was what enabled me to start my blog and be able to buy clothes and be able to travel. So when I left KPMG, I had a bit of savings. And and then when I went to uni, I had a student loan as well. Wow. Okay. So I guess for you, it was more about the passion of executing as opposed to conforming at the time. I think you touched on saying, oh, but you didn't know that in the beginning, uh-huh. but you've kind of described a scenario where something of you knew that was where you wanted to go, though. No, I, I didn't. I wanted to be a lawyer. I didn't know I'd be where I am. I didn't know that my blog would become a full-time job. So when I started my blog, I didn't realize that it could be a job. I didn't, it wasn't a job then for pretty much anyone. As I started to realize, they appealed to me a bit more, but it wasn't ever like, yeah, I want to be a full-time blogger. So when I went back to uni, that was 2015. So around 2015, while I was at Durham, I just realized that my career was taking off. And I just found my career so much more interesting. I was studying accounting at Durham. I never wanted to study accounting. I just had to because that's what I had to do for the KPMG program. So like I had one law module and my law module was amazing. I was great at it. I went to my lectures and everything when I was up at uni and not in London. But for my other modules, my accounting module, my maths modules, I was really, really bad. Because I wasn't enjoying it, I just spent all of my time on my work. And because I had started to realize that my work was taking off. I'm just a very like career-focused person because that was why I decided to stay on at KPMG instead of 
going to LSE, right? Because I started earning my own money and I enjoyed not having to ask my parents for money. So I've just always been, yeah, quite career oriented. Was there some level of autonomy though that came with you being able to earn your own money and make the bold decisions like, I would rather focus on Merami because clearly this is a possible one income earner for me, two, I can see myself in the long term converting this to something. I have aspirations for a clothing brand. It's the path less taken, but nonetheless, I enjoy it more. Was that because of having the financial freedom or independence that you had? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I wasn't 100% financially independent. In Plymouth, I lived in a flat share with other people. But when I moved back to London, I lived in an apartment that my dad was paying for. So I wasn't 100% financially independent. But yes, absolutely. If I had to ask them for money to do every single thing, they would have been able to say, actually, no, you're not doing that. You need to stay at uni. You can't leave to go for work. You can't travel. But because I was earning my own money, I didn't have to ask as many questions. So they were quite supportive of you, actually. Yeah, they were supportive. Like my parents, when I wanted to leave KPMG, they did not want me to leave KPMG. Like generally, over the years, they have been very, very supportive. It usually starts by me saying, this is what I'm doing, and them saying no. And me saying, actually, you know, this is what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it. And sharing with them what I know, like, this is who else has Mm -hmm. done it, and this is how I can make money from it, and this is how I'm going to be successful. And so it usually ends with them coming onto my side after all, because like I've always kind of demonstrated that I am passionate and driven and very hardworking. So it wasn't like I was trying to just be a bum and not go to uni and just not do much. I'm more driven. I want more for myself than they do, to be honest. So I think there has been an element of trust there just knowing that I'm quite a serious person. So you briefly touched on having creative aspirations, but amidst being a lawyer or being an accountant, the perception is blogging requires an element of creativity, an element of copywriting, journalism. It sounds like two different people. I think that is a misconception because I think that most of us are creative. Growing up, I didn't think that I was creative because I couldn't draw I wasn't in art class. I just thought I was academic. I knew that I was good at writing essays. But apart from that, I thought I wouldn't have considered myself a creative or an artist. But I think most of us are creative, like so multidimensional. And I didn't always know that. But as soon as I realized it with my blog, I just realized how much life it gave me. And so even when I worked at KPMG, I would work all day, come home, blog late into the night, spend all my weekends blogging not have much of a social life just to be able to do that. So I think it's very much the same person and the different aspects have helped me. Like my accounting background has really helped me with running a business. And yeah, I think it all comes together like really, really perfectly. Actually, for my company now, when I'm hiring, I honestly would rather hire someone with a corporate background. Like when I think about it now, well, I guess it depends on the role, but generally I found that people with corporate backgrounds, just have more of an understanding of how a business should run. When I left KPMG, then I got kicked out of uni. I was looking for a job in fashion. So I wanted to be a fashion buyer just to kind of like learn the rope and just see more of the industry. And I found it very difficult to get a job in fashion buying because they saw that 
you know, I was an accountant and they were like, well, this is not creative. You basically won't know what to do. And I think that that is so short-sighted because someone who has an accounting background does not mean that they're not creative. I had my blog as proof of my creativity. And in many ways, I think that my accounting corporate background would have made me a much better fashion buyer than someone who just had a fashion degree because at the end of the day you have to buy things that people want and there's just a lot of skills that come from yeah. corporate financial background that helped me in fashion even so today. I'm finding this with each guest on the show is that through pursuit of whatever endeavor it is that each guest finds themselves in and most of it is usually just following the beat of your own drum right? Mm-hmm. And then through that learning that, hey, you know, my past experiences do make a difference and my future aspirations means that I'm someone other than perhaps, you know, the educational system has told me I always have been. And to some extent, the world's construct has has created for you in terms of limitations. To talk more about, I guess, Mirror Me and your blog, you've always through that being very candid and open about every possible aspect of your life pretty much so from being a young African woman to you know delving into gender roles relationship roles personal development career aspirations and and also finding a way to inspire and share your journey as a means to creating a lens for women in your generation to see alternatives. Has that always been conscious for you? No, I don't think so. I think when I first started, I wasn't making a deliberate effort to be vulnerable because my blog wasn't so popular because I was reading other blogs and a lot of blogs were personal when they started. A lot of people used it just as an outlet to their lives. So it wasn't all about pretty pictures and cute destinations like Instagram is now I think it's kind of changing and people are realizing how powerful vulnerability is but that was just what blogs were just talking about your life and being more candid about your experiences so I didn't even start thinking oh I'm so vulnerable and this is going to help so many people after a while I started to think like that when people started telling me how amazing I was for sharing it really just came naturally to be open and to share. I guess I'm not a very close person. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's amazing. You've done several series over the years, right? Where it's not just been about seeing, I guess, your blog as a journaling platform, but converting that into somewhere where you also empower people. I think for me, each guest on the show, and I don't know if, you know, for you, you realized the purpose in your work extending beyond you as a result of being a third culture African and realizing that your position in the world is beyond you and has service within it. Yeah, I think that I didn't realize that so much at first, but now I definitely do because people who follow me tell me all the time. And I think it took a while to sink in, but now I finally get this. I know that each time I share an experience of failure and how I overcame it, or I just, you know, share about even till today, how I'm struggling to find manufacturers for my clothing business, or as we are now, struggling to come Mm. to terms with the pandemic and the effect it's had on our businesses, which I know you will have experienced as well. 
I know that people are inspired and people gain strength and understanding from it. I know that now, but I definitely didn't know that in the beginning. I kind of liked not knowing it because I could just be reckless. And now I have to think about what I'm saying. But I guess it's good to think about what you're saying and not be reckless. I still try and just say what I want and do what I want. And as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I just want to always to be as honest as possible and just be my true self without trying to present as like politically correct or someone who has it all together. I just really want to be myself. And that is what got me here. So I can only believe that that will take me the rest of the way. You touched on building a life, a career you love. And this seems to be something that for you... And even with the work that you do through Mirror Me and somewhere also with your ethos around Kai, you've sort of created an iconic clothing brand for your generation in terms of the social media reach and a dedicated customer. With that in mind, as an aspiration or a goal for you, has that been something that you've consciously curated over the years or is it something that's somehow fallen into place as time's gone on since I can remember I've been passionate about women I'm aware of the fact that we are not generally empowered from a young age to realize like our full power to realize how much we can achieve anything we're mostly raised with like marriage as a goal and just seeing our lives in the lens of an imaginary man I know that that's not the case for everyone, but I know that it was the case for a lot of people that I grew up around. And so with everything I do, I've always been passionate about reminding women that our lives are ours fully to control and to chart our kind of path, basically. And so with everything I do with the clothing brand, I really, really wanted it to reflect that. I want when women wear Kai, I want them to feel confident. I want them to feel powerful. I want them to wear Kai to their important meeting. And I want them to know that Kai is made up of a community of women who are doing it afraid, but doing it anyway, and building the lives of their dreams, no matter whether those dreams are accepted by their families or their communities. I just want women to embrace who we are and explore every aspect of our lives. And I set up my business with the intention of doing that. Now, what I don't know is how I've been successful at it. So I get messages like, when I wear this dress, I feel so powerful. Or, you know, I haven't felt so good since having my child and I wore this dress and I felt like Beyonce. So I honestly, I'm not sure how wearing the clothes actually makes them feel like that. But it was my intention. And I'm glad that somehow it is being fulfilled. I think there's something in your messaging, though, that is very much about your relationship with your body as a woman and body confidence. I think in a lot of your content that you've shared over the years, there's always been an acceptance and also a relationship and a positive relationship between you and your body and your confidence as a woman. And perhaps that's what people are responding to because you are sharing your collections with Kai, not just as, hey, here are some pretty clothes that I've designed that I think you'll like, but 
through the context of travel and your lifestyle and your narrative, I guess it's more than just the clothing, even to you. And I think the people who buy your clothes feel that. I know that I've bought t-shirt piece of yours which I thought was beautiful thank you and I think with a lot of your creations it's the one with the earrings I get a lot of compliments on that piece and I think it was part of your I think you have a collection where it's like one like very few are made out of yeah you know yeah so that's actually an accidental butterfly which I haven't been able to focus as much on because of Kai I kind of started it prematurely I should have focused on Kai before starting it. But um, so an accidental butterfly is cool stuff I find on my travels. So that I didn't actually design. I just bought. But with Kai, I design everything. I didn't know that. Yeah. I do think that through your journey, expression, etc., you are creating an interesting narrative for your generation, which I can also buy into and which women can buy into. You know, there's a feminist part of your journey, which is very much around acceptance and understanding of your power as a woman, which you've touched on. But there's also the vulnerable, fearless part of you. And to be fair, honest part of you where you openly share your views to whoever is willing to tune in. Now, working in corporate, you've touched on how that's impacted, I guess, what you've been able to do professionally with Kai and to some extent with Mirami, but most people, I guess in our communities, the concern is always, but how do you monetize something like blogging? You've created a blogging course in the past yeah. to help people understand how they can do this as a career, but would you mind sharing, I guess, a perspective on how one monetizes their journaling to the world? How do you get to brand partnerships? How do you navigate social media? without giving away, you know, everything within the course, but you have the course that has shared elements of this in the past. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to share. I think that content is just everything, which you'll probably have found through your business. Once you create great content, monetizing it becomes, I don't want to say very easy, but it's not the most difficult thing in the world because everyone is looking for great content. Even now, as we've been on this Mm. lockdown, like, People are eating up everything. So when you create great content, really, the possibilities are endless. And so there's so much in the course. I'm actually relaunching it in April under the kind of creators, which is my new kind of community for people who want to go from content creators to profitable entrepreneurs. It covers everything from like Instagram to how to get brand partnerships. But say just kind of quickly running through when you, you know, set up a website or an Instagram page just creating the best content possible and a consistency. So posting your content consistently and that way you mm-hmm. naturally attract followers. Like people go from how can I have followers before they even think about how can I create amazing content. If you create amazing content, your following can skyrocket overnight. So what is amazing content though? So you go from what you're good at. What do I like? What am I good at? So for me, I like fashion. I'm good at putting outfits together. And so I would say like amazing content for someone like me is showing five ways to style one top. So five ways to style this Kai Collective blouse and putting together five really cool outfits, taking photos with a photographer who is good at their job or your friend who you direct. And so you create really, really good quality, high quality photos. You try and achieve the photos of the same standard that you see in magazines 
or you see on your favorite Instagram pages and, you know, writing copy that shows that you're put thought into it and then putting out that out, like five ways to sell this t-shirt or this blouse, whatever it is. And that would be amazing content for that person. For an interior decorator, amazing content could be how to make the most of an attic or a loft. Do you get what I mean? So just things that you know mm-hmm. will help other people. I always say your content has to either be inspirational, educational, or entertaining. So making sure that your content is at least one of those three things is crucial. Amazing. I think in and amongst content, there's a part of what you share around personal development and openly sharing your own personal development. Is that part of your content strategy or that's something that you share because you're driven by that? So everything that I go from my heart and from what I feel. So it starts from, Mm. okay, this is what I feel like saying today. This is who I'm becoming and I want to share that with the world. And then from that, I can see how much it connects to people. And then I guess it becomes part of my content strategy because I'll have a list. So in my notebook now, I have a list of the videos I want to shoot or the pictures I want to create. I literally have, you know, picture by the window wearing blah, blah, blah. So I do plan it. I go by what I feel. And from a feeling, it then becomes part of my strategy because I realize that it's important or it works. There will be things that don't really connect with the public. Like, so I'm very feminist. And a lot of what I have to say is very feminist and it doesn't connect with everyone. Some people think that my views are too extreme. So I don't think that sharing those things actually makes me more successful or makes me more money. But I think it's important to share and I want to share it because I think that it should be heard. So something like that, I will continue to share as I feel it, even though that's not written in my notebook. Like, as part of my content strategy. But when I hear that this thing is happening to these women in Nigeria, I feel the need to amplify the message on social media and like say, you know, who is responsible for this, who can help do something about it. And so that's not part of my strategy, but that is just what I feel in my heart I need to share. As someone who's sort of followed you for the last, I would say about three years since I met you, my first impression was the fearlessness in wanting to pursue your dreams, your vulnerability and being able to wear your heart on your sleeve. I think all those things have contributed to the success you have and you've managed to do it through Mirami, through Kai, and it sounds like you're attempting to do it for the third time through your ability to help educate people around, I guess, monetizing blogging as a career, where do you see this new form of a career? Because it's not in any way traditional. Blogging as a career or as a job is something that has become a, a recognized career or job probably in the last sort of five years. Universities are taking note of it. You've recently, or you've spoken at Cambridge and a few other universities, Warwick, I think, and a few other places around, I guess, your career as a full-time blogger who earns a living as you do from any other career or job. Where do you see this going for you? Obviously, you've diversified your revenue streams through Kai, but is for you blogging the profession? I 
have always seen my blog as a vehicle instead of a destination, which is big message in my course. I'm always like, create, you know, your personal brand because creating a personal brand is the best way to connect to people. I'm very much brand, like creating that relationship before product, so like before offering people anything, build a relationship with them, find out what they need, find out what you can help them with. So for me, my blog was not, wasn't meant to be my final destination. It was just an avenue for me to connect. And I think that a lot of people are beginning to realize that, like a lot of entrepreneurs are becoming influencers in quotes and are building you know, a following that they can connect with and share more of themselves with. Because I think even with what is happening right now with the pandemic, I think that the future of retail, it has to be more personal. People need to know your values. People need to know whether you care about sustainability. People need to know whether you care about the working conditions of your manufacturers and things like that, I think are more easily or more effectively communicated when you have an audience. And so for me, mm-hmm. I don't know where this journey is going to take me. I'm, I'm passionate about building Kai into a brand that is so much bigger than I am. I'm passionate about continuing to create content about myself, about my life, connect to women just like me, remind women that they're capable of anything they want to do. So yeah, I guess I'm passionate about, you know, my personal brand continuing to grow. But I also am aware that I might find out in five years that, you know, I might come across something that I think I can solve and, you know, create a new business to solve that problem. So in my mind, I'm fluid with it. I am open to the possibilities. And I think that's what happens when you create a personal brand and you build an audience through connecting with so many people, you realize so much more. So I don't know where this is going to end. I only know where I am at the moment and for where I want to take the businesses that I have at the moment, but I'm open to the possibilities for someone who is a few gen like two generations or so i would say before you because you know i just make millennial there's a part of my brain that's like heck yeah let's go for that but there's the other part which is you know where's the job security in that and to be fair through entrepreneurship or through anyone creating anything and i guess this is the part of the show that each guest talks about where the job security or all of those questions that come with it. And I know in the press and in general public perception, the idea of blogging and monetizing it for the last, I would say, 10 years, it's always been dying, right? Everyone always says this is not going to last very long. No one's ever going to do this forever. But a decade in, you're finding more traditional secure jobs like uh, journalists who worked for glossy magazines turning themselves into bloggers or influencers because where they felt the job security existed in traditional jobs doesn't actually by creating your personal brand as you mentioned is something that is perhaps more longer term sustainable if you are a conduit for fashion or views or news in any particular way or entertainment for you though how do you see this for yourself in terms of creating that security building your businesses and growth and brands etc you've obviously shared kai and the blogging course but in the long term 
it's clear enough that blogging is here to stay and consistently using that as a means to an end. Where does that evolve for you? Oh, that question is so loaded. I think job security is so important, whether millennial, whether no matter what you are. I think that I was only able to leave KPMG when I did and say that actually um, I don't want to do the ACA anymore. I don't want to be an accountant. I want to work in fashion. When I was looking for a job in fashion, there were months where I didn't earn any money. And I think that I was only able to do that because I knew that if shit really hit the fan, I could go and beg my mom for money. I know that not everyone has that privilege. I don't Mm. come from a rich family, but I know that I will not starve. I knew that at the end of the day, I didn't have rent to pay and I could stay in my dad's apartment he was paying for. But I know that that is not the case for everyone. So I actually am a really big advocate for like, you want to create a more creative career path for yourself. I'm a really big advocate for doing it whilst and it's in your more traditional job or it's just something that pays you know something that there's consistency you know you know that at the end of the month you're getting this check I'm building it while you know you're doing that and leaving when you see you know that there's promise in your more creative career path and that you can actually start to create a stable income for that I'm not for you know the starving artist I like nice things and I like money So I wouldn't just, you know, drop everything and be like, yeah, I'm just going, you know, to do this by all means. I think it's very possible to kind of build both at the same time and jump ship when your creative career starts to take off. Then to the Mm. second part of your question, which is people have been saying blogging is dead. I think, yes, people have been saying this for years, but actually I think that they've realized even more so now with the pandemic, how alive blogging is. I think that it's a great time to be, you know, they call it influencing now. I don't really like that that word. But because there's no events, the events have been cancelled. A lot of brands are allocating a lot of their marketing budget to influencers in quotes. And so it is a very, very viable career path. Now, I think that as the industry continues to evolve, which is already happening, it's going to be more about what does this person bring to the table? What are their ideas? What do they believe in? Who follows them? What are the values of their followers? What is their big message? What are they passionate about? What are they working to solve? There's going to be less space for people who are just doing it for a quick buck and people who are just like, hi, today, here's my outfit, Gucci bag, Zara belt, whatever. It's going to be more about what does this person bring to the table? Are they wholesome in their message? Do they appeal to you know, different people who is their niche, is that more of that kind of stuff is going to be considered. But I think that even more so now, it has been proven that blogging is not dead. Because as you said, editors of Vogue, all these big magazines who used to look down on blogging are now trying to build their personal brands because building a personal brand is absolutely everything. Can you remind me what else I haven't answered in that? I think you've touched on it. I wanted to hear your perspective as someone who's eight years in. I think successfully doing something as expressive and creative as blogging and sharing parts of yourself in this platform and, you know, watching people like Will Smith take to blogging and social media the way they have and the power of building an audience in the long term to fulfilling bigger aspirations like a clothing brand and the success thereof. I think we're starting to see more and more case studies around 
people doing that, perhaps much less in our community as Africans and people of color. I think more so in those communities. And that's why I felt really strongly about having you on the show to have that perspective in the show. Because I think for me growing up, especially, you know, I make creams for a living. That is my day job. Through that, I have been able to do the most incredible things. But growing up, it was never a traditional career path or an option. It wasn't clear and also not in our community. And even when you saw other people do it successfully, it was something that was for other people. And I recognize, and as you touched on, the privilege that you and I have had and a lot of our guests have had with having some form of financial support behind us, but not using that or not taking that for granted, but using it as a springboard to achieving these selfish goals that end up becoming purposeful work for a broader audience. And I'm thankful that you've been so open in sharing your journey with the audience today, because I think it's definitely newer in terms of what paths there are to success, but it's positive for, say, a young mom who is trying to figure out where she goes next, or a young person in university who feels like they're bursting with all this creativity, or even for an entrepreneur who is much older, who feels outdated in today's world, and how do they pivot? How do they convert that? I became a mom, you know, in 2018, and I started to look at my business and my purpose beyond, you know, the charitable efforts we do with Ripple Reading in South Africa and educating those kids and saying, hey, but what part of me and I'm having a lot of these conversations in private behind closed doors. But I feel like there's enough people out there, especially Africans who could benefit from hearing these conversations and documenting our time, I think. We're in a beautiful point in life where we can openly share more of our experiences, our strives, successes for the next generation to evolve and perhaps do it better than us and create more representation in these industries that by and large we're carving out for ourselves. I think amongst your profession through blogging or whether that's Kai, if I were to ask you how many women of color in your age group are doing what you're doing in the way that you're doing it, the answer is probably one of one, right, in the UK. No, there are quite a few, you know, these days. I think people, I think things are really, the tide is really, really turning. Even for, you know, like my mom, having watched my career, I think she's just seen that creating a personal brand is the best way to connect to people and to pivot. And I think that now with what's happening with this pandemic and with the fear that it's going to lead to a recession, a lot of people, myself included, are thinking, how can I pivot? You know, I'm thinking, what if we ha we were at home for a whole year and I have this clothing brand, but no one is, no one is going out. What <laughs> no one has anywhere to wear it. What do I do? Yeah, I, I, saw, I, saw, I saw a post pop up on my feed from another friend who has a, a clothing label in the US. And she was like, uh, well, seen as we're all staying home. And, and her thing is about show-stopping outfits. It's like this sweatshirt, but it's not just a sweatshirt. It's an elaborate sweatshirt. <laughs> and it made me laugh. You and I already said, you know, we're both used to working from home in some aspects. So 
we haven't felt the changes in that respect. You yeah. know, I'm used to waking up and putting on my work uniform, which is usually some form of loungewear, which is, you know, a pair of leggings and a, and a cute sweatshirt or a, like, you know, a nice top, but everything's super comfortable. And working from home, I did that at the beginning of my career with Malay because I couldn't afford an office and then have done it at different points where my business hasn't done so well, which means can't afford an office. So I moved back home, work from home and recently done that again since becoming a mom. Yeah. But in no doubt is this creating lots of conversations and questions in everyone's mind around what does six months from now look like? What does a year from now look like? And what does three years from now look like? Yeah. Whether that's through your creative aspirations or ventures or through product-based businesses, right? You know, a large part of my business relies on the hospitality industry. Mm, yes, because you're... Sorry, I just remembered, <laughs> like, because Malay is... I remember it was in the hotels, the, like, top hotels, yeah. right? In, uh, around Africa. Yeah, and no one's going anywhere right now. Yeah. You know, I started this morning because many years ago, I made hand sanitizers as a gifting, like a PR and marketing gifting thing. And so me and the team sort of jumped on a call this morning discussing our strategy around, hey, maybe that's a product we should actually make and in the early days I went on a creating spree I had a cosmetic chemist on tap as it were so I could create anything and you know I created a lot more products than I've ever released or put out and at different points I've used them for corporate gifting and different individual projects but to tap into what you mentioned around you know what's happening with COVID-19 and everyone considering where do they go and how do they do it I think we're now in a place where every industry is now re-looking at how they conduct business, whether that's remote working, whether that's, you know, building a personal brand. What happens to the world if there's this explosion of personal brands is always the thought that pops into my mind every time I have a conversation with a full-time career blogger. But don't you already kind of feel that it's that way? Like with everyone having an Instagram profile now, I kind of feel like everyone has a personal brand. People might not see it that way yet, but I can see that. And it doesn't seem to pose a problem because everyone is doing different things. Well, you should be doing different things, right? Instead of just mimicking what Yeah, I, I think the construct of it in today's world now, I think for the first time through the connectivity of social media, people are realizing, one, successful people aren't successful alone. Two, mm -hmm. they've always had multiple revenue streams so whether that's speaking engagements them turning up on a tv show and talking about their work gifting etc i think the transparency has always lacked and we're now in a space where clearly you can see that in my case i have zezonline.com which clearly shows you everything i do in addition to running malay and that's something that only now digitally being connected is allowing people to see. And in the same way, people can now see that, you know, Fisaya Longa is not just Mirami, there's Kai and there's all the other ventures, the speaking and the brand partnerships, etc. And so I think for the first time, the idea of how people make it and the idea of a personal brand, people are having real life examples of what that looks like. In the past, the understanding of that was Oprah. Now, Oprah is not necessarily the most accessible version of what a personal brand looks like. And having 
people like yourself and other entrepreneurs who are openly sharing their journey is now creating a better picture of what that looks like and how that's attainable and achievable by someone who isn't sure where their next step is. They've either done the traditional route or don't know where they're going and are studying, have a passion for beauty or fashion, music, photography, art. And how do you transition that into something that one is monetizing for you as a career and two, how do you sustain that? Obviously, your blogging course shares more into how you do that. And I wouldn't like to take away from the monetizing of that, but we'll put in the show notes how to get onto the course and understanding yeah. how that happens, if that's something that someone's interested in doing. Yeah, um, and honestly, and- I'm always happy to share because actually, you know, the step-by-step of doing it is so much longer than could even be in a five-hour podcast. But whatever questions, you know, you think would be relevant now, I'm happy to answer. Fab. How can people reach you? I know we've talked about blog, mirror me, blah, blah, blah. How can people reach you or connect with you after the show? So my email address is fisayo at kaicollective.com. You can definitely send me an email, but you can connect with me on social media. So Instagram, I'm on Instagram every single day. So you can send me a DM. And I will respond. And my Instagram is Fisayo Longe, same as my Twitter. And that is F-I-S-A-Y-O-L-O-N-G-E. Oh, you'll probably have it in the title. <laughs> yeah, but it's always nice for you to share it. Some people don't check show notes. So yeah, <laughs> fabulous. So one thing I do with every guest on the show is ask them to pronounce their names properly. I have had years of my name being lots of things and each guest does it and it always brings up, I guess, a fond memory or a candid story around the transition of being a third culture African. So how is your name said properly? So my name is Fisayo, well, Olua Fisayo me, but Fisayo Longe. Yeah, when I say it here in my everyday life in London, I say, oh, my name is Fisayo Long, but my name is actually Fisayo Longe. (laughs) Fisaya Long. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say all the time. Yeah, Fisaya Long. Long with an E on the end. <laughs> <laughs> My great-grandfather is probably looking at me and he's probably looking at me from his grave and just scoffing. But yeah. <laughs> Well, in addition to that, I will say that Fisayo's Instagram and her stories are very entertaining, sometimes educational and sometimes inspirational. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us today. I'm hopeful that it creates a lens into the minds of people, old, present, younger, and allows them to see your journey and be inspired by it. I will try not to, to do your intro with Fisayo Long <laughs> as your name <laughs> with an E. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show notice. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.